Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page seven of the Blue Chabad Sitter. Blessings number four, five, six. These are not popular blessings. <laughs> These are not the blessings that sell Judaism. <laughs> if, if they're not properly understood, I should qualify. There's so much depth to these blessings. Um, and, and I will recognize that at first sight, when we read them, they don't, they may not resonate right away <laughs> because they seem divisive. They seem as if it's trying to create some sort of superiority of who's greater and who isn't. It's a funny perspective. And there are so much commentary and explanation on these blessings. We're not going to go through all of them, obviously, but we're going to take a very specific angle. And I think it's going to really illuminate not only our understanding of these blessings, but our understanding of Judaism at large. We're going to have a good time. Let's read the three blessings. Um, let's just read through them real quickly. We'll start with blessing number four on page seven. They're not numbered, so no full service. You got to do the counting yourself. It's only four. No, okay. <laughs> Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Bear in mind that these are translations. And when you translate a word from Hebrew to English, you are giving a very limited perspective. The Hebrew word for Gentile is goy. Goy means nation. He didn't, he didn't make me part of the nations of the worlds. Hold on to that. We'll get back to that soon. The next blessing, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. Again, these blessings, if they were... Uh, advertised and she'll come to synagogue for our service <laughs> might not get the biggest crowd but but let let's take a step back take a step back there's something that these three blessings have in common all three of them let me take a step back not only the blessings the characters of the subjects of the blessings god has not made me a gentile a slave or a woman what do these three people have in common negative connotation which is really sad for me <laughs> that, that, that's and that's another good question that we're going to address as well why the negative connotation with the woman with the gentile and the slave so the what, what, and he says it all. <laughs> but uh, yeah hundred percent I'm, I'm with you sharon i'm with you um i'll, I'll tell you this i didn't write the blessing no <laughs> but but, but no, i get it it's just hard to swallow it, it's a, it's a very difficult pill to swallow and I'm going to ask you guys to hold on with me into this. Stay on the boat. It's going to be a rocky boat, but hold on, because I think there's going to be an incredible shift um, within the hour in how we understand these blessings and how we translate them and how we understand everything. So just, just, hold, just hold on. These three characters, a non-Jew, a slave, and a woman, they all have something in common. Anybody know what they are? Not something negative necessarily, but just something factual. Neither of them 
are obligated in the performance of 613 mitzvahs. How many mitzvahs does a non-Jew have? You're muted, sorry. <laughs> I missed it. Show us your fingers and toes. No. Seven. Seven, right? There's the seven laws of Noah, the seven Noahide laws. A non-Jew is obligated in seven of the mitzvahs. How many mitzvahs is a slave? We're referring to a non-Jewish slave, um, which doesn't exist anymore. There's no such thing as slavery anymore in, in the realm of halacha. For the, but there was the concept of slavery in biblical times. A slave is a partial Jew. You know that? A non-Jewish slave, a non-Jew becomes a formal slave, is considered to be a partial Jew in the sense that they can't marry Jewish. They can only marry another slave. Um, they become fully Jewish once they're freed. And there's a whole discussion. If you need a tenth for a minion, are you allowed to free the slave? <laughs> um, this character, this, this slave goes to the mikvah and converts, but not as a convert, but as a slave. So it's like a partial conversion. It's an interesting concept. It might be a new concept. He has to get a bris. And this slave has to do is has to do the mitzvahs, but is exempt from positive time-bound mitzvahs because he's bound to serving um, his duties. Right? When we say slave, by the way, we don't mean as we were slaves in Egypt or as um as the, as the blacks or African Americans were slaves in in America, we don't necessarily mean slaves in that extent. There's a whole discussion in halacha about how you need to treat a slave. The Talmud says he he who acquires a slave for himself is truly acquiring a master because of how well you have to treat the slave. So slave does have that con negative connotation, and it's not a positive thing necessarily, but it, it has a sort of gruesome, if you will, connotation. But it doesn't necessarily need to. But our point is, the non-Jew only has some mitzvahs. The slave only has some mitzvahs. He's exempt from positive mitzvahs that are time-bound. So the slave doesn't have to put on tefillin. Right? Tefillin is only a day, not at night, not on Shabbos. It's a positive mitzvah. It's time-bound. Okay. And finally, the woman. Right? A lady is exempt from positive time-bound mitzvahs as well. She's not considered, God forbid, a partial Jew like a slave. God forbid to say something like that. We're not trying to compare the two. But they do have that notion in common. We'll soon discuss why. But women are exempt from positive time-bound mitzvahs. That's why women don't wear tzitzis. Tzitzis is not at night. That's why women don't put on tefillin. Tefillin is not at night, not on Shabbos. Women theoretically... Um, can sit in the sukkah, and it's a great thing, but there's no obligation to, and many other mitzvahs as well. Now, when you say time uh, ex exempt, um, I'm trying to uh, trying to understand the difference between truly like you don't have to do it at all, or uh, it's okay if you don't do it at the prescribed time that men do it. Right. So. so if it's a time-bound mitzvah, it's only a mitzvah in that time. You know, shofar is only a mitzvah on Rosh Hashanah. It's not a mitzvah to blow the shofar on a random Tuesday, right? So 
if they don't hear it on Rosh Hashanah, fine, they didn't do it, but they didn't have the obligation to. If they did do it, it's extra credit and beautiful. That's great. It really is. Um, but, but they are exempt. And the question is why? Right. The question is why? Now, some explain. There's a lot of... I, I, I want to tell you something. Um, Sharon, you brought an incredible point. And, and the point that you mentioned, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here, is something I've struggled for so long. How do we make sense of these blessings? It doesn't seem to be in the spirit of Judaism, of the Judaism we know. But is it only for a guy to say those blessings? Because I can't say those blessings. So, so the blessing of the first two are said by all, but the blessing of he has not made me uh, a woman are not said by women. And yeah. women actually have a different blessing. Why? You're just devaluing yourself if you say thank you for not making me a woman, which I <laughs> Right. It, it, it does seem antithetical. And women have a different blessing that they say it's actually not in the sitter. And there's a whole discussion as to why. And we'll, dis and, and we'll discuss that's involved. It's all going to click together. They say thank you for not making me a man. So they don't say that. And we'll discuss why soon. You'll see how this all fits in. This is, there's an incredible puzzle here. But I have to tell you, I have to be a little bit vulnerable here. I feel like I need to. I, I've struggled with these blessings as much as you did. How do we make sense of these blessings? I have faith that there was so much wisdom in these blessings because they were established by our sages. Our sages who are ordained by people who were ordained by people who were ordained from Moses himself. People that had deep insight and wisdom into what life is all about from the prism of the Torah, from the perspective of the Torah. But my own limited brain, my, 29, 20, my young 29-year-old brain says, what is going on here? What is going on here? This is something I've struggled with. I have a question. Why did yeah. I make it negative when it could be positive? Why can't I just say thank you for making me a man? 100%. 100%. And that's one thing I've struggled with as well. That's one of the issues I've struggled with. Besides the fact that why are we you know, dividing like that. And, and thank you. Why don't we say it in the more positive form? Right. Yeah. And this is, I, I, I'm with you. This is something I've struggled with in trying to understand for a long time oh, yeah. in preparing today's class. <laughs> and you could say it for all of them, like you could say, instead of not making me a Gentile, making me say, a Jew, making me a Jew or Right. Or making me a free man. Making or... me a free person, right? Or, or, or thank you for making me who I am and appreciating who I am and not what I'm not. A hundred percent. It it That seems more in the spirit of the Judaism that we know. Yeah. And by the way, there is a blessing that women say, God yeah. made me according to his will, which there's incredible deep insight into there. And we're, and we're going to discuss that soon. And I, I'm with you. This is something I've struggled with for a long time preparing this class because of this difficult but, topic but god god didn't write the sidur correct correct so, so so it wasn't him who wrote that blessing it was a man who wrote it so correct 100 percent. and and the question is though what was the the true intention of what's going on here what is the real intention to really understand this blessing these three blessings again these are not the easy concepts and and preparing Today's lesson took much longer than it normally does. Um, I finished about a half hour ago, <laughs> maybe 45 minutes ago, whatever it was. 
We have to take a step back. We have to understand that there's multiple dimensions of Torah. There's multiple dimensions of everything. There's multiple dimensions of people. There's body. There's the soul. A person has a body. A person has a soul. The Torah has a body, the laws. It has a soul, the meaning. Right? What's really going on? Mitzvah observance has a body, the performance, the soul, the passion, the kavanah. Everything has a body and it has a soul. Judaism has a body and Judaism has a soul. What's the body of Judaism? The Torah. The body of Judaism is the, is the, is the Torah and the literal text of the Torah, the, the deeds that the Torah lays out, the mitzvahs, right? Yeah. That's the body of Judaism. In fact, the Zohar, one of the earliest works of Kabbalah, explains that the 248 dues, positive mitzvahs, correspond to 248 organs. The 365 don'ts, negative mitzvahs, correspond to 365 veins and sinews that a person has. Mitzvahs are the body. What you do in Judaism, that's the body of Judaism. But then there's the essence of Judaism. I'm not Jewish because of what I do. <laughs> Just because I, right, if some random Gentile starts performing mitzvahs, that doesn't make him Jewish, <laughs> right? Throw on a shawl and start, uh, even if he circumcises himself, that doesn't make him Jewish yet. <laughs> you gotta actually, right? What makes a person Jewish? Judaism is not what you do. Judaism is who you are. So there's this duality in Judaism. On the one hand, Judaism seems to center around what you do. There's so much observance to it. On the other hand, the essence of Judaism is really about who you are, which means if you don't practice, you're still Jewish. Right? I just read a story. There was a, there was a Hasidic Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe, Named the Slanim Rebbe. He was the Rebbe of Slanim, the town of Slanim. And in his shul, they needed a minion. They only had nine people. A tenth walks in, but they knew who this, this tenth person was. And he was known to be a person of heretical beliefs. He was a heretic. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in, didn't believe in anything. Not only didn't believe, not wasn't like he was or didn't had doubts or whatever it was. He was an antagonist toward Judaism and and toward everything that Judaism stood for. To the point that he tried even proselytizing his beliefs and getting turning Jews away. Right, one of those guys. They said, Rabbi, can we count him as a minion? He is number ten, but he's it's not. He's not just not practicing. He's <laughs> Practicing against Judaism. So he quoted a verse. The verse that tells us about the mitzvah of tithing animals. And it says, there's a mitzvah to tithe your animals. Um, I'm not sure if this mitzvah still applies. In, not during the time of the, of, of the Beit HaMikdash, I don't remember. But you would have a farm and you have, let's say, 100 sheep, Right? So you open the gate, 
you let your sheep out and you count one. Wait, you're like, as if you're trying to fall asleep, you count the sheep, right? One sheep, two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you start counting sheep. When you get to sheep number 10, you declare that sheep as sacred. And that's the tithing of your animals, right? And the Torah says that the 10th one is sacred. Don't look as to whether it's blemished or not. Don't look as to whether it's holy, whether it's unholy, whether it's blemished or it's not blemished. He says, this is our number 10. Don't look for problems. <laughs> He's a Jew. He's our number 10 and the 10 is holy. He's a Jew and a Jew is a Jew no matter what. That's the essence of Judaism. The essence of Judaism is not centered around your practice at all. You could do nothing about your Judaism and you're still Jewish. On the other hand, the Jewish religion does center around practice, which means you're going to practice because you're Jewish. You're not Jewish because you practice. Make sense? These are these two components of Judaism that are kind of at odds with each other. It's the body and soul of Judaism. This is how Kabbalah understands the difference between men and women. Understand the concept. Let's understand men and women as a concept, not as a gender, but as a concept. It exists in a gender too, because something that is, whenever there's something that's true, it's going to be true on multiple planes and multiple levels. And you'll soon see what I mean. Understand men and women as a perspective. Kabbalah explains the perspective of Judaism, that this is just who I am, that's feminism. That's the feministic aspect of Judaism. And that's when, when we refer to God and to the soul in the feminine tense, which we do sometimes, God is neither he or she, but we refer to him in that tense or her in that tense. That's the aspect of Judaism we're referring to. It's just who we are. It's our essence. When we refer to Judaism as a practice, as a set of values, as a set of beliefs or a set of behaviors, that's the masculine perspective of Judaism. That's masculinity in Judaism. Understand feminism and masculinity, male and female, as perspectives of Judaism. Men... Ten, again, a lot of these are going to be stereotypes, and stereotypes aren't popular, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're not true. <laughs> they might not be 100% true for every single person, and every individual, a, a male may have certain feminine aspects of him, spiritual feminine uh, components of him. A female may tend to be more masculine in certain areas, as you will soon see. But the general concepts are true. Generally, men tend to focus more on, look what I'm doing, right? What do you do for a living? We like to show off. Oh, I hope I didn't offend anybody. No, okay. Um, teasing. We like to show off. We like to things center around appearance, right? When men date, their first perspective of the date, their first uh, analysis of how the date went or goes or does go, is about the outer appearance of whom they're dating. Women are not about the appearance, they're about the person themselves. How was the conversation? How was their personality? 
because that's what women pay attention to. Men focus on experience, on the external features. Women tend to focus on what something is, and that's how it is with Judaism as well. The masculine aspect of Judaism is the, just the external behavior. The feminine aspect of Judaism is just who you are as a Jew. And by the way, this is true with men and women physiologically as well, not just emotionally, not just uh, spiritually, but physiologically. In a physiological relationship, a biological intimate relationship. I'm trying to, leave, I'm trying to use clean lingo for our listeners, <laughs> for our listeners that are beyond this group. In a physiological, biological intimate relationship, men are more, the, the, the relationship is more about men giving. Men is the giver and it's external. Women are the receiver, it's internal. Women, the, the concept of femininity tends to be, means that women are deep. Men are not as deep, at least not by not 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 the stereotype, not the spiritual stereotype of men. Anyway, it's not to say that there aren't deep men, and it's not to say that there aren't shallow women. But the spiritual stereotype of, uh, or, or traits, if you will, of femininity and masculinity that seems that that is the actual difference. I'll give you another example. How does a man enter the covenant of Judaism when he's born? Which means, how does his soul have, in order for his soul to fully integrate, he has to do something. He has to get a bris through an action, right? And how does a woman enter that covenant? She doesn't have to do anything. She just has to exist. She just has to be. The relationship that men have to Judaism is doing, the relationship that women have to Judaism is just being. The masculine perspective of Judaism, I do mitzvahs. The feminine perspective of Judaism, I'm a Jew. It's who I am no matter what. You don't have to do anything to be part of this covenant. You just simply have to be. That's why women are, are pater from, or are, are exempt, I should say, are exempt from many of the mitzvahs. I'll tell you a story. And by the way, each of us are going to need both of these components within us. We're going to have to access both, both of these. I'll tell you a story. I have a friend who has come such a long way in his, in his journey toward humanity, his journey toward Judaism, both. He has struggled for many years in trying to figure himself out, and he's just incredible. He's been around the block. He's been in prison, out of state, and he, it was a growing experience, a tremendous growing experience for him where he took the experience to not just lose himself in a depression where he easily could have and he had every excuse in the world too, but he decided to take control of his life to seriously introspect. And he's living now in Los Angeles and he's an incredibly committed, passionate Jew. And he has a full-time job, but his free time, he studies as much Torah as he possibly could so he could become more comfortable as a Jew, as a practicing Jew. And he says to me, he calls me up. He says, Josh, I'm trying my best to keep Shabbos. But my knowledge is so limited. 
I didn't grow up with it. I didn't go to Hebrew school. I didn't go to, to I didn't get a, a yeshiva education, nothing. I'm part of a community and I know what I see. Don't do this, don't do that. But I know it's more than a checklist. I know there's so much depth. I know there's so many details. And I'm studying the details. But I want to be perfect at Shabbos and I want it to be now. Should I invest all my time studying halacha, Jewish law, and drop my other Jewish studies, the more philosophical areas of Jewish study? Because I need to, I want to do this to the T. What he was essentially asking was, I'm a man, I'm not a woman. Can I take full advantage and just be a man all the way? Just focus on doing. I said, no, you have a mitzvah to keep Shabbos, but you have a mitzvah to know who commanded you to keep Shabbos. <laughs> you have to know the God who wants you to keep Shabbos. You can't just focus on doing, you have to focus on being. The difference between men and women Men focus on the details of practicing the mitzvah. The feminine focus is who commanded me to do this mitzvah in the first place? <laughs> Not the command, but the commander. Again, that's because the feminine trait is much deeper. Another example of this. One of my favorite prayers, Lechadodi. Recited every Friday night. The Chadodi is a love poem authored by Rabbi Shlomo Alkovitz in the somewhere in the 1500s. He was a student of Rabbi Isaac Luria, the famed Kabbalist, Avizal. The Lechadodi prayer, what's it about? It's a love poem towards Shab toward Shabbos. Shabbos is our bride. Shabbos is feminine. Right? If Shabbos is feminine, l'chadodi, come, my, let's go, my beloved, likrat kala, let's call the bride, penei Shabbat, which is the face of Shabbat. The face of Shabbat is the bride. Shabbos is feminine. What does that make the weekdays? Masculine. What's the difference between the weekdays and Shabbos? Shabbos is about, uh, the weekday is about doing. You're allowed to do work. Not only are you allowed to, the, the Torah explicitly says, six days you shall work. <laughs> You're supposed to do. On Shabbos, we don't work. What do we do on Shabbos? We be. We just are. Right? That's why during the Shabbos, during the week, we put on fill-in. On Shabbos, we don't put on fill-in. It's not about doing things to connect to Hashem. It's just being in that connection itself. Shabbos itself is a sign of a connection. And, and just being there, that is the connection. The word Shabbos means to rest. You're just being. That's the day God rested. That's the week. God, that's the week during the week, God created. Six days he created. He acted. He acted masculine. He was proactive. On Shabbos, he drew back and said, I'm feminine. The weekdays is masculinity, productivity. Shabbos is the day of rest, the day of just being, the, 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 just being in the moment. That's femininity. One more parallel. What does a, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish law, what does a father, a male, pass down to their children? 
tribal affiliation, right? If you're a Cohen, Levi, Israelite, or whichever of the 12 tribes you may be from, more specifically, where does that come from? The details of Judaism, where does that come from? The father. The specific details, the uniform of Judaism, if you will. The parts of Judaism that, for lack of better words, aren't essential to Judaism. That comes from the male. But what comes from the female? Being Jewish. Core Jewish identity. If your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. The core Jewish identity, the essential identity, I'm a Jew, whether I practice or not, that comes from the woman. That's the femininity. I hope I'm pronouncing that word right. Nobody's correcting me. Otherwise, this would be very embarrassing. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> To understand why we recite these blessings, let's understand, let's appreciate over here the difference between how Kabbalah and how Torah understands the difference between men and women. There is a difference, right? Men is centered around what we do, which is very superficial, but necessary. Women are centered around who they are. I'm a Jew, and that's very necessary. That's why, by the way, in general, again, this is a stereotype, and I know stereotypes aren't popular, and I know stereotypes, it may seem that stereotypes have exceptions to them, but in general, men have to constantly be told how to do things right. Women just get it. They're on the ball because it's just who they are. The connection, the dedication, traditionally, by the way, the dedication that women had to Judaism was always more than men, which is why men have to be grounded through practice, through structure, and women didn't. I'll tell you a story, a biblical story from a few parshas ago. So we have Joseph and the brothers. They don't get along. Joseph ends up being sold to Egypt. His father thinks he's dead. Eventually, his father discovers that Yosef is alive. Yosef brings down the brothers and the father down to Egypt. They all live happily in Egypt for the last 17 years, right? Okay, we just summed up like decades of history into like 30 seconds. <laughs> Jacob's on his deathbed. And he knows he's on his, de on his deathbed. And he, um, he summons Joseph and says, my time is coming near. I need you to make sure I get buried with the rest of the patriarchs in Hebron, in the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, in the, in the cave. There was a special cave where Adam and Eve were buried. Abraham and Sarah were buried there. Isaac and Rebecca were buried there. Leah was buried there. All of the patriarchs and matriarchs were buried there. Abraham purchased that land. And Jacob says, I need you to make sure I get buried there, number one. Number two, it's got to happen right away. I don't want to wait in Egypt. Don't wait till the exodus. And he makes Joseph promise. There's a whole question why he made Joseph promise, made take an oath, if he did not trust his son. Truth is, he didn't trust Pharaoh, but if Joseph was bound by a swear, by an oath, he would have pushed himself. Okay, separate discussion for a separate time. And Jacob sensed 
some ill feelings in Joseph's heart. Because where was Joseph's mother, Jacob's wife, buried? Not in the cave. You remember she died on the road? Bethlehem? That's where she's buried. She was buried in Bethlehem. And he says, wait a minute. My mother dies. And all of a sudden, okay, we'll bury her right over here. <laughs> You're going to be buried right over, right, right where you died, right? My mother's buried there. It didn't seem to bother you. And then all of a sudden, you're dying, and it's not even a sudden death or anything. Let's plan this. <laughs> Make sure you get to Israel. Make sure you're buried where you want to. And, and Joseph had some ill feelings there. Commentaries offer various explanations as to why Rachel was buried there. Some say she died so suddenly there were no plans. But Rashi offers a Midrashic interpretation. Jacob and Rachel had prophecy. And they saw that thousands of years later, the first Beit HaMikdash was going to be destroyed. The Jews were going to be exiled. The Jews were going to be leaving Israel. And they're going to pass through Bethlehem. They're going to have the opportunity to pray at the graveside of Rachel. And Rachel, the graveside of a righteous person, is, is traditionally sacred. And an, op uh, a, 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 um, an opportune location for prayer. They're going to pray to God at the graveside of Rachel. She's going to advocate for the Jewish people. She's going to cry for her children. She's considered the mother of all Jewish children. And she's going to cry for her children, and she's going to advocate for us. And that's going to be an incredible thing. And that's why Jacob buried her on the roadside. But we see here, by the way, the difference between men and women. Rachel needed to do what was needed, not what was comfortable. And why was she so willing to do that? Not be buried with the rest of her family, be buried on the roadside. Why was she willing to make that sacrifice? Because Judaism was centered around, I have a connection to God. Whatever he needs, I'll do. It centers around him. It doesn't center around performance. Judaism is not a show. For men, it tends to be more of a show. Jacob, for Jacob, who is a man, says, I got to go to the cave. I got to be with the rest of the family. I got to be in a sacred place. And is in, in, in Hebron, in general, in traditional Judaism, The synagogue centered around men. It did. But Jewish existence centered around the woman. The most sacred of Jewish practices is the one that most people don't even know about because it's not spoken about for reasons of modesty. The mikvah. You know who's in shul. You know who puts on tefillin the external things, the doing, but the being something as sacred as a mikvah, which brings Jewish children into existence, you don't know. You don't see that stuff. That's the power of the Jewish woman. Halachically, by the way, if you're in a city 
and you're about to build a shul, but there's no mikvah, don't build that shul. You build the mikvah. Mikvah takes precedence over a shul. It takes precedence over a Torah, over everything. Because being Jewish obviously is superior to doing Jewish because you're only doing Jewish things because you're being Jewish, because you're Jewish, because of who you are. This is the difference between men and women. Everybody with me? Raise your hand if you're with me or if you're against me so far. I think it's a great summary. I mean, honestly, um, you know, the, the, this, this topic comes up over and over again, right? And <clears throat> I mean, the way you just laid it out, it's like, wow, we should all be striving to be women so that we can be, right? A hundred percent. And I'm glad you said that. That's where the Hasidic movement came historically. Judaism was becoming so ritualistic, so focused on doing. The Baal Shem Tov came and Hasidic teaching came and said, we need to be like women. We need to remind ourselves that we're not just doing Judaism. We have to be Jewish. We have to experience it. It's who we are. One of the only organizations in the world that is led by more than 50% by 50 of women, by 50% of them is ran by, it's 50% of the organization is ran by women, is Chabad, <laughs> for that very reason. Other organizations have their quotas. We have to hire a certain amount of women, otherwise we're going to get in trouble. And Chabad, just like that, 50% of, uh, 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 of an entire organization, of an international organization, is ran by women. Both of these attributes are necessary. Femininity, Judaism is who I am, deep down inside. Masculinity, Judaism is how I behave, how I perform. When you merge those together, which means I'm doing Judaism because it's who I am, that's what we call intimacy. Men and women are uniting. The masculinity, the femininity, the weekday, the Shabbos, all of these things are just seamlessly coming together. And Kabbalah describes that as intimacy, spiritual intimacy. One of the blessings, by the way, so the blessing that the women traditionally make instead of this blessing that they don't make, is it's actually not in the sitter, and I'm not sure why, but there are reasons. Is we, they say, Sha'asali kirtsono, God made me according to his will. Which means the life of a woman is centered around God's will, not their own will. Whereas men, it's centered around the show of Judaism, not the will of Judaism, not God's will. When Mashiach comes, the Mashiach era, the Messianic era, is referred to as one big Shabbos. Yom Shukulo Shabbat. The Jewish, the, the, the traditional commentaries explain that there are seven millennia of existence. So the first thousand years of existence corresponds to Sunday, to day one of creation. And I don't have the explanation offhand, but series of events that took place the first thousand years of, of existence, starting from Adam and Eve, corresponded to the first day of creation, let there be light. The second millennia of existence corresponds to Monday, the third millennia to Tuesday, etc. The, the seventh millennia corresponds to Shabbos. That's the Messianic era. 
we're right now in the sixth millennium. And our job is to take in Shabbos early, light the candles early, take in Shabbos early. It's a mitzvah, right? Get Mashiach here early. The Messianic era is Shabbos because Messianic era is about experiencing God and just being Jewish. It's about the femininity of Judaism. Again, the whole point of, of existence, as we know from Tanya, the whole point of existence is God wants a home in this world. A home means a place where I want to be, not just where I want to do. Right? When you're at work, work is centered around what you do. How do you perform? But your experience at home, you shouldn't be on performance at home. At home, you're not performing. <laughs> you're just being. You're being yourself. Right? You could take your shoes and socks off at home. You wouldn't necessarily do that at work. Right? Sometimes when I give classes, I make sure the table has a tablecloth that hits the floor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sort of kidding. <laughs> right? God wants to make himself at home here. He wants to take his shoes and socks off. He wants to, to be, not, not to do. So the Tanya is all about doing. So then does it mean that the woman don't have to do Tanya? The other way around. The Tanya is all about being. being. It's about the action. It's about understanding the action and making it work, but you have to do. You have to do. Everybody has to do. But, but the center of Tanya is to remind us that Judaism is about being. That's expressed through doing. So I would say women might connect to those concepts much better, perhaps. Maybe that's debatable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't got there yet. I think I need to get older and understand this concept. It's, it's, it's definitely a process. It's definitely a process. So when we say woman, I want you to translate the word woman, not as female, but translate the woman as the word woman. Is everything we just described. Being Jewish. Translate men as doing Jewish things. Okay. Go back to the blessing. Right? Are we not just intellectualizing this to support the person who wrote the, the, the sidur? It's, it's a good question. Are we just... Are, did to we, explain did we, uh, thought. Did because... we draw a target around the, around the bullseye, right? Around the arrow. This is yeah. This are is we just Kabbalah... trying to explain what he did to actually make sense of it? So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Historically, these concepts of how we understand women and how we understand men yeah. um, from a Kabbalah, Kabbalistic perspective, starting from the Zohar, perhaps even earlier, predated the, the um, authorship of these blessings. So even just chronologically, it, it, it existed before the blessings. It wasn't that these blessings were created and now we've created a philosophy around them. It's the other way around. These blessings are the deeper meaning of these blessings are the natural result of, of a deeper understanding of the structure of existence, the existence of men, the existence of women, and the existence of God. Yeah. So God has not made me a woman. God has not made me a person who experiences Judaism by default, experiences Judaism as just being Jewish. 
And for that, we thank God. We thank God because now we have the opportunity to fulfill our role as men, which is doing mitzvahs. Women don't say that blessing because there's no need to uh, there's no need to focus their Judaism around doing. Women have certain things they do. There are mitzvahs that they do 100%. But their focus is not around performing, around doing. The focus is around being. So there's no blessing. Thank you, God, for um, not making me a man. What's the point in that? <laughs> the point is, the whole point is that women are about being Jewish. Just this is who I am. This is my essential connection. Men have to tap into that essential connection. And that's going to be through the intimacy with women. With a woman. Not with women in general, right? We are, Judaism is monogamous. Um, in biblical scripture, when you look at the Chumash, you look at other biblical texts as well, Tehillim, the Megillah, you'll see sometimes a word is spelt one way but pronounced another way. Have you noticed that before? Right? I mean, you see that many times. So you see it a lot with God's name, but you see it with random words. Sometimes a word is spelt one way with an aleph or whatever it is, it's pronounced without the aleph, or sometimes it's spelt with a vav, but it's pronounced without the vav. The tradition is that it's written this way, but it's pronounced another way, which means both interpretations hold true. So I, I, I would... I'd like you to look at the Hebrew text of the blessing. It's the second, um, right under the English line, which says, males recite the following blessing. Do you see that? So there's a three, three words under that. Shalom, Asani, Isha. He is not, Shalom means that he did not, Asani, make me Isha, a woman. The word Shalom has an Aleph. But if you're reading the word, you're not spelling it, it could be spelt with a vav, and it's the same pronunciation instead of an aleph. And now shalom means to him. Shalom to him, to God. Asani, he made me, Isha, his women. There's that part of Judaism with everybody, within men and women equally. There is that essential part of us where this is just who I am. I am a Jew. God made me his woman. God made me his slave. God made me his servant. God made me his nation. How do we connect to that? That's through the literal interpretation of shalom, did not, do not, right? Saying no to our own desires and focusing on God's. Women don't say this blessing because that notion is inherent. Women focus on the mission. Women focus, a, a woman's focus on is what needs to get done. A man's focus is what do I want to do? <laughs> which is a big problem, a big problem in marriages. Women are marriage-centered, and men tend to be self-centered. And if, if, if a man is not aware of this, it can create a, a, a tremendous amount of riff. That's one of the reasons why we, uh, commentaries explain why we recite this blessing. God did not make me a woman. Remind yourself of your limitations. It's actually a reminder. Remind yourself of the limitations that you're not a woman. 
and you're going to have certain limitations. You're going to require structure. You're going to require details. You're going to require to do the mitzvahs on a very structured way, whereas women, the focus is not doing, but being. They are the essence of Judaism. And that's why their main mitzvah is the mikvah, which is the essence of Judaism, bringing Jewish life into Judaism. The focus is on being. So there is no blessing recited, centering, or there is no blessing. These, this blessing wouldn't be recited. Thank God for not making me a man. It's because it's not about doing, it's about being. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.